today we're going to be starting, like I said, a series on uh, the book of Titus. It's, um, it is indeed a short book. There's only three chapters, actually, in Titus. But I don't, uh, I don't know why exactly, but the book of Titus has been on my mind for a while, that this is a book that we need to go through. And so um, I've been thinking about doing this book for a long time, but uh, the time has finally come, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, today, what we're going to do is we're just going to basically look at what I'm calling the prologue or the introduction uh, to Titus, which is uh, chapter 1. It's a good place to start, chapter 1, don't you think? And uh, just the first four verses, verses 1 to 4, and then uh, next week we're going to finish chapter 1, and then uh, and then the week after we're going to do chapter 2, and the week after that we're going to do chapter 3. And that should uh, that should take four weeks, unless I get incredibly inspired and we'll break something up along the way, but that's how I've laid it out uh, so far. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Titus. It's towards the back of the New Testament. It's a small book, so it sometimes takes you a while to find it. But fortunately for you, I have it on the screen. Uh, so if you could put it up for me, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it says this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we will announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. Sometimes we, uh, you know, when you're reading, especially the epistles, and they all have sort of this obligatory introduction. It's like, uh, it's like the modern day, hey, how are you doing? It's like, you know, like it's, it's like how we start a conversation. But this actually um, has something to say. A, a lot of them do, actually. I shouldn't say that. But this one in particular has a lot to say, and I wanted to, I wanted to just break it down a little bit for you today. It's a short book, but it's a good book, and uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. It was written by Paul, of course, uh, to his good friend Titus. Now, he's given Titus, he had given Titus uh, a, a difficult job. It was a responsibility that he entrusted to him. He'd given Titus the responsibility to look after all the house churches that were all over the island of Crete. Crete was a, uh, an island out in the Mediterranean, sort of a, a GNC area. And it's one of those, uh, it's a fairly long island, but uh, narrow. It's uh, uh, approximately 30 miles wide, but about uh, 250, 300 miles long. So it's kind of this long, skinny island. And there was house churches that were all over the place. Crete was, a, it was, a, it was sort of a strategic island. It had a lot of harbors, and uh, so uh, a lot of ships were coming and going, and it was a, it was a, it was a busy place and a, 
sort of a, a key island. And Paul had given Titus the responsibility to care for the house churches that were all over the island. Now, it wasn't going to be an easy job, and let me explain why. Uh, first, Titus was a Gentile, so he wasn't a Jew, he was a Greek. He was a Gentile who probably came to faith in Jesus through the ministry of Paul, and him and Paul became close, and he actually became a co-worker with Paul. And you'll see it uh, actually in several spots throughout Scripture. Uh, let me just give you a few Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 1, it says, 14 years later, I went back, this is Paul speaking, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. Uh, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion, Titus, be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So he's with him when he's, uh, when he's um, uh, doing ministry. There's actually a couple others, a key other one, Second Corinthians, put that one up for me, chapter 2. It says, but I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So I said, goodbye, goodbye, and I went to Macedonia to find him. Now, uh, jump to chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, so, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you when he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for you for a little while. He's talking to the Corinthians, okay? The Corinthians again, okay? The Corinthians had so many issues, Paul had to write them twice, okay? Twice. One letter wasn't enough. He had to write them twice. There was a lot of, a lot of nonsense and mix-up going on in Corinth, in, in Corinth. And guess who he sent there? His good friend, Titus. So here's my, my point that I, I wanted to get to as we begin this journey into the book. Paul believed in Titus very, very seriously. He believed in his ability. He believed in his commitment to the Lord. He believed in his maturity. He gave all the tougher churches to Titus to look after. Okay? This is what he did. So, uh uh-oh, we got a problem in Corinth? Send my good friend Titus, right? And and, uh uh-oh, we have an issue in Crete? Guess who he sends? Titus, right? So the Corinthians have all these problems. Titus is there. And now his job is, now he's faced with another really difficult situation in Crete. Uh, Paul is, and so he sends Titus again. And, and let me just stress, this wasn't going to be easy. You have to understand, it, it was not going to be easy. Look at Titus uh, 1.5. He said, uh, he's saying to Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. 
So that doesn't sound that difficult, right? Look, dude, I just left you there to finish the work, appoint some elders slash pastors over all the house churches, get some stuff in order, and move on, right? Doesn't sound anything that a capable guy like Titus couldn't do. But you don't know Cretans, do you? You don't know anything about them, I'm guessing, right? Right? Well, let me help you out. Cretan people were famous for being liars. They were famous for being treacherous, uh, greedy. They were incredibly sexually immoral and corrupt. They were uh, uh, really violent uh, to the point where some places you couldn't, you couldn't even, wasn't even safe to go. They were completely untrustworthy. These people were barbarians in that sense. They were nasty, difficult. In fact, most of the men that lived on the island of Crete were either mercenaries or former mercenaries who would go fight for anybody who paid them enough. There was a lot of violence and a lot of lying and a lot of corruption on the island. In fact, put up for me Titus 1.12. It says, this is what Paul says, even one of their own men a prophet from Crete. This is a guy from Crete. He said this about himself and others. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. It's not exactly the nicest way to describe yourself. If, imagine, so I'm writing about Canadians, like I can write about Canadians. And I go, yeah, Canadians are all liars, cruel animals, lazy gluttons, you know. Like, this is how he felt about his own people. This is a reputation that they had, and it was a reputation that was well-earned. It was a very, very difficult place. So you get that, right? So now Paul says, now you're, trying, now you're getting the point of, Paul says, okay, Titus, so go to Crete and uh, finish the work that I started there. And he's like, whoa, do you know anything about Crete? Do you know what those people are like? Like you could imagine what he's feeling, right? But Titus goes anyway. I mean, how would you like to be assigned to those people as your first ministry placement? Hey, fresh out of Bible college, go to Crete. Not the best place to start, I'm guessing, right? So he sends Titus and Titus goes. By the way, last week we touched on Acts chapter 2 when we were talking about groups. And uh, when the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2, and when the Holy Spirit arrives and 3,000 people got saved, if you look down through the list of all the people that got saved, there were people from Crete in that crowd. And so the message of Jesus was started that day at the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And these people from Crete went back to their island of Crete and, and began to try to live for Jesus. And Paul ended up going there. He visited the island later and started a work, but he was really concerned about the corruption and the violence and uh, the false teaching that was going on in Crete. And so he was really worried that what was started was going to get ruined. And so he sends his good friend Titus. So in this first verse, in Titus 1.1, Paul gives the plan of what he has been called to do, and how he wants Titus to now carry out the same thing. He, he calls him his true son in the faith, and he gives them this responsibility to carry out with the Cretans. And I want you to see this because it's important. 
This letter's from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus. I have been sent, here it is, to proclaim faith to those God has chosen, to teach them to know the truth, and, uh, the, and that shows them how to live godly lives. And so what you see here is we are to have a faith that grows in knowledge and truth and that it leads us to live right. So it's this progression that you see. It, it, it's this faith that grows into knowledge or truth and knowledge. You can the, sort of the same thing. Uh, in a way, but it's not just, uh, he says truth, knowledge, it's truth, not just true like two and two is four, but it's truth that sinks into your soul, that changes you. It's a deeper truth, something that impacts you, not uh, on a greater level than just intellectually. It, it, it compels you to live godly. It changes you, and it changes the way you see things, it changes the way you live, it changes the way you speak, it changes the way you act. He's saying this is the kind uh, uh, of, of, of truth when it impacts you. This is where it gets you. So it's this progression. Uh, I call it the progression of a disciple. So it seems that Paul is suggesting a pattern here that's important for us to get. It's a pattern for growth for those who are committed to be a disciple of Jesus. He First of all, he says it starts with faith. So Everything we do with Jesus starts with faith. We're saved by faith, not by works, right? We're saved by faith. So our adventure of following Jesus, uh, it, it must start by faith. We must believe, right? God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty of our sin. And anyone who believes will receive eternal life. That is That is the message of the gospel. And let me just say this. The good news of the gospel, it's it's profoundly beautiful, but it's profoundly simple at the same time. And I think that we're guilty at times of complicating it, of debating all the intricacies and the mysteries of God and the Bible. But at its core, right, at its core, faith in Jesus starts by realizing that you're a sinner, there's a God who loves you very much, he wants a personal relationship with you, and if you believe, you receive. We sh- there's something simple about that, amen? And, and beautifully profound. And I think sometimes we get so much stuff all around it that we, you know, we lose the, the, you know, the forest instead of the trees, like we throw the baby out with the bathwater, all these things we say. But the point is, that's the nugget, right? That's the precious nugget. It is, it is a faith walk. It is a faith journey. It starts and begins with faith that we know that we're imperfect, that we see a need in our life that we can't solve, and we find that there's a God who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, who wants a relationship with us, and he says, if you believe, you'll receive. And we have to just keep it that simple. We have to struggle to keep it that simple. So it starts with faith. The next, he says, is knowledge or, or truth. It's, it's to know the truth, knowledge of the truth, right? It's this next step. So after you believe, right, you should be growing in your knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm, yes? That's why I say get in a group and study. 
That's why, you know, we do this. That's why we meet. That's why we look into the word, because we have to get deeper in our understanding of the knowledge of the truth about Jesus and God. We have to, we have to deepen our understanding of God. A.W. Tozer, who's a, a famous writer and preacher, he said, the Christian is strong or weak depending upon how closely they have cultivated the knowledge of God. And there's actually a lot of truth to that. It's important that we advance and that it's important that we grow and that we mature in our understanding of who God is, of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Like, think about it. It's, it's important for us to, to grow in our understanding of who we are in Christ, right? It's important to grow in our understanding of what our personal spiritual giftings are. It's important that we grow and, and, and understand that. It's important that we grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we grow in that. He is big and there is much to know. Yes, we cannot know it all, but the, but the call upon us is to grow, to progress, to make progress, that we start by faith, but it's not, it's not just this is one and done thing. It's like when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues and then say, that's it, now I never have to speak in tongues again for, forever. No, no, it's the beginning of something, right? It's the beginning of something. There's progression. So we start by faith, and the obvious next step is then to begin to increase in the knowledge and the truth of God. This is the next important step. We, we, we don't just believe by faith and stop. That's nonsense, and I think we all understand that. But understand this. Paul devoted his life to knowing Christ. You see that phrase, right, throughout Scripture? To know Christ, right? To know Christ. Look at a couple. Philippians 3, 8. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And then jump to verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I want to know him. I want to know him better. I want to... I'm willing to suffer with him. I'm willing to discard everything. I'm willing to make it a priority. I want to make sure that I know him, that I'm growing, that he is deep in my soul, that he is is in my life in a profound, deep way, that I want to know him and grow in that knowledge and, and, and grow in understanding his truth. And so it's this passion that Paul had. And I get that it's a little bit hard to relate to that because we think he's special, but he's just a guy, right? It's important to know that they're just people and we can have a passion to grow in Jesus too. Amen? We can have a passion to grow in our understanding of the truth as well. We are actually called to devote our lives to growing in the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. It's a call upon us now that you've, you've taken the first step and started by faith now let's start working it out. Let's start building into your faith, understanding and, and comprehension and maturity and all these things that come, right? So it, it's, it is the, 
the, the classic line, it is the truth, right, that sets us free. Right. So how can we be free if we don't understand the truth, right? So we must grow in our understanding of the truth of God. For the more we grow in our understanding of the truth of God, the more we are set free. It's, just, it's, it's a basic principle, but a powerful principle, right? So we have to understand, by the way, that growing in anything takes time. I wish it didn't, to be honest, but it just does. Like, it takes discipline, you know, to learn anything takes discipline. To grow in anything takes discipline. To increase your knowledge in anything takes discipline. It just takes time. You don't enter kindergarten and on the first day understand all, all there is to know about algebra and physics, right? You begin to take little steps. At least I've been a long time since I was in kindergarten, but I think they still teach you math, right? I don't know what they teach in school anymore. It's all weird now, but... Uh, but uh, I thought we, uh, I'm not going there, but anyway, it's like if, if people can read and write and do basic math, I still think that's an important skill. So, right, but you begin, my point is you begin, right? We, we begin this journey by faith. There is much to learn. There are people who have been walking with him and serving him for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and they, they would tell you today if they came up and took a microphone, they'd say, I know him a lot better than I did when I started but there's still so much more to know, right? Amen? And this is, this is how deep he is. He's, this, he's this, uh, uh, this unquenchable fire to know him more. He's this, this well that never runs dry. He, he's, he's just always, there's always more to understand and to learn. And I just want to encourage us. It's going to take some time. Yes, I understand that. It's going to take some discipline. It's true, right? But it's worth it. It's worth it. And I, I think it's important to note that good things, good things are worth making a good effort for. Don't you think? Good things are worth making a good effort for. He is a good thing. And so, yes, make an effort. It's important. So we start by faith. It, it's, so we're increasing in our faith. We're increasing in our knowledge of the truth. And third, he says, when those two things are happening then there's going to be a practical outcome. And this is, where, this is where it's important. The Bible is not just a theoretical textbook that we can tickle our intellectual fancies with. It, it, it actually drives us to practical application of what we understand. It's very, very practical. Godly living. He says if you're growing in faith and you're growing in your knowledge of the truth, that is going to impact how you think, and how you act, and how you live. It's just a natural outflow. It's a natural progression of a disciple of Jesus, right? Growing in the knowledge of the Lord is not just gaining information. It's, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's a heart thing as well. That the more you understand who he is, the more you understand his purposes for your life, the, 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 the more you get into it, the deeper the impact it has on you. It causes you to change how you think. It causes you to change how you live. It transforms you, the word says, by the renewing of your... Right. It transforms you by the renewing of your mind, which, guess what, leads 
to practical implications in your everyday life, right? What you think you are, right? So when you're changing the way you think, when he transforms your mind and you're growing in the knowledge of the truth, it has to change how you live. It has to, right? There is this progression from faith to knowledge of the truth to godly living. Paul wants Titus to not just plant seeds of faith. He wants him to challenge the Cretans to grow. He wants them, he wants to challenge the Cretans to grow in their understanding of the knowledge of the truth. That Jesus is not Zeus. You see, they loved Zeus. Cretans were very, very proud of Zeus. They claimed that uh, the Greek mythology gods, that they, they claimed that Zeus was born on their island. And so... So they were very proud of that, and that was a big thing for them. But Zeus was known even to Cretans as a womanizer, as a liar, as someone who was out to get only pleasure for himself. And this is why Paul is saying, remind them, like, he's promised us, right, that we can grow in faith, grow in knowledge of the truth. It's going to lead to godly living, and the end result is it will give you hope for eternity. And then he says, and God, this God, does not lie, right? This is why he says it to Titus to tell the Cretans because they, they, they liked Zeus who was a liar and they themselves were filled with lies. And he's saying, this God, the real God, Jesus, does not lie. So when he says you can grow in faith, grow in knowledge, it will impact the way you live and it will give you hope for eternity, it is true. It is you can take it to the bank, as they say, right? It's real, right? He does not lie. This God is different. And so he's making this point about how he wants Titus to, to make sure that, there, that we don't just plant seeds of faith and then leave it. We don't just say, okay, now you're saved, everything's well. No, there's, there's more to it than that. That's a great start. It's a wonderful start. It's, it, it has to happen. It's an important start. But we must... We must continue to build our faith and to build our knowledge of the truth. And it should be impacting the way we live. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. It says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith, look at this, with a generous provision of moral excellence, right? And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with, say it with me, godliness, right? And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. So he's saying, we believe by faith. We start this journey by faith, but we have to continue to grow in God, and it has to change the way we live and think. So right living or godly living has to be a part of every believer's life. The correct knowledge of God, right, knowing the truth, should lead to right living. This is his point. It, it practically affects how we live. 
1 Timothy 2, 2, put that up for me. It says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. This is what he said. So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is who we're called to be. People who live with a mark on us. We are marked by godliness, right? So it's important. I was reading this old quote um, by an old preacher, Vance Havner, and he said, he was talking about the church and sometimes how we, we, we don't live out and become the people and the thing that we really should be. And he, he said these words. He said, we are challenged these days, but, but we're not changed. We get convicted, but not converted. We hear, but we do not. And therefore, we deceive ourselves. And I thought, wow, how sad that that, that, that could be true of us. That we, we're actually supposed to be seeing the progression happening in our lives. Growing in faith, growing in knowledge of the truth, and growing in godly living. It's a progression that should happen. So I don't want, I don't want to be challenged but not changed. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to hear and then do nothing about it, right? Somebody's with me, right? So we're hearing today. We're hearing today. So we don't want to do nothing about it. We want to make sure that we're progressing in our faith and becoming all that we can be in Jesus. So it comes down to something really just this simple. If it's real in our lives, if our... It, 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 if it's real, then people should see it, don't you think? If it's real, people should see it. it sh- they should see it in how we live. Somebody that knew you before and knows you now should be able to say, man, you've changed a lot. Man, the way you speak, it's just different. The way you think, you just think about things in a different way. I've seen, I've seen you know, you change. This is normal for the Christian, Right? The people of Crete needed to be reminded by Titus that a real commitment to Jesus will be proved by a changed life. See, so he's saying, listen, you can't just say you believe by faith and continue to be violent. You can't say you, you believe and live by faith and you continue to be liars. You, you can't say it and continue to be violent. You can't say it and continue to live with sexual corruption and immorality and murder and violence. You can't say it and keep those things. You, there has to be more to it than that, right? If it's real, then you, those things got to be changing. And, and this is what Titus's job was, was like he was left there to say, tell them. To that they've got to keep growing in their faith, to growing in their knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and let that play out in their everyday practical lives. And this was the mission that Paul said was now Titus, uh, was on Titus to do for the island of Crete. It's pretty convicting, isn't it, when you say a real commitment to Jesus should, it, it should be proved by a a changed life. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we wonder, have you ever? How much of an impact he has? You still feel like you're tied up in knots and you still have the same dysfunctions and the same baggage and the same issues. And I realize I don't have all the answers to that, but all I know is this. 
that the more we grow in faith and the more we grow in our knowledge of the truth and the closer we get to Jesus, the more he gets the opportunity to bring change into our lives. So when you go, when you go after him with sincerity, he comes after you with sincerity. When you go after him with a genuine heart, he comes after you with a genuine heart. It, and and he, he's always genuine. It's just us that sometimes isn't, right? But I encourage us today, all of us, whatever is left in our lives that's not right, we have a God who is calling us to make right the things in our lives that need to be made right, that people should see that we are changed by the Spirit of God. The same goes for us. The same goes for us. So, he says, so there's this progression of a disciple, growing faith, growing knowledge of the truth, growing in godly living. And then he says, when you live like this, you, you, you also get confidence for the future. You get, you get this assurance. This faith in Jesus not only saves us today and makes our lives godly, but it also gives us hope and confidence for the future. Look at verse 2. It says, this truth gives them, meaning us, confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So we have eternity to look forward to. Someone said amen. He says, God promises eternal life to those who believe they will receive. And by the way, he does not lie. That's what he said. So if he promised it, It's good, right? He does not lie. So look, he says, look, your your Greek gods may may lie. Zeus may lie. You may lie. Cretans all around you may lie. But tell them, Titus, God does not lie. And when he says this, he means it. You can take it to the bank. It's legit. It is true. No matter what happens, it is true. If you believe God, you receive eternal life is yours. So it gives you the confidence, the peace, the assurance to know that if the worst thing happened to us today, all is well. Amen? For when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That gives us the confidence to know that. And we can live, Lord, uh, we can live with this confidence knowing He is with us now and that He will be with us forever and ever and ever and ever. The truth gives us confidence that we have eternal life, right? So people hope for many things. Uh, I hope for better weather tomorrow. I hope for a good lunch today. I mean, we hope for lots of stuff. I don't know if any of it will come true, but, but here's the thing. I don't, when, we say, when we say hope, and some of you Bible translations will say hope instead of confidence. The truth gives them hope. But the, the word is better actually translated confidence because hope, hope can be, hope can be I, I, I hope, you know, I hope you do well. I don't know if you will, but I hope you do well. No, that's, not, that's not the hope that we have in God. The hope we have in God is, is confident hope, right? We're hoping because it's real. We're, we're hoping because we know it's real, right? It's confidence. And so it gives us confidence. People hope for many things. But people that don't know Jesus 
Hope that they'll go to heaven. Hope that they'll be okay. Hope that everything will be okay at the, if there's an afterlife. They hope that it's going to be fine. But the believer has a different view because we're growing in faith. We're growing in our knowledge of the truth. We're growing in how we're living for Jesus. We, we're, we're also growing in this confidence for the future that we know that we know that we know. We have confident hope about heaven because it is a promise of God and God does not lie. Right? This is the truth, right? Colossians 1, verse 4. It says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have heard this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. This is a powerful, confident hope. He's saying, I promised you eternity. If you believe, you receive. And you can live in that confidence. And now he's saying this good news is going out all over the world. It's, it's impacting lives and changing lives. And people are getting it and seeing and believing. And they too one day will find that, they're, they're, that, they're, that their hope in God has not failed them. That he is who he says he is. That he does what he says he does. Right? That this is a God who does not lie. We have confidence, by the way. Let me just say this. It's a basic principle, but as we begin the book, it's a good thing to know, too. That we have confidence because, uh, not just because he said it, okay, which is good enough, but we also have confidence because he proved it by sending his son Jesus, right? He, he put, he, 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 as we say, put his money where his mouth is, right? Like he, he, he sent Jesus to make it possible. So, so that we could have life. He, he sent Jesus to pay the price that we could never pay. He proved it. And he kept his promise of life. You see, when humanity fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, God had a rescue plan, right? He wanted to get us back. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted to restore the fellowship and the connection that he had before sin tore us away. Jesus is the ultimate rescue plan, right? He sent Jesus at just the right time. He sent Jesus, right? And so the death and the resurrection of Jesus proves that God is not lying about providing hope and providing confident hope for those who believe. He sent his son and did what needed to be done. So Jesus said, everyone who believes in him, what's he say? Will not perish but have everlasting life, right? This is a truth, my friends, that we can believe. God does not lie, right? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This is powerful. 
powerful stuff. It's not just hope. I hope spring comes early. I hope for good weather tomorrow. I hope that you do okay. No, it's more than that. It's a deep, deep confidence, right? It's a confident hope. So Jesus came to give us life. And we're blessed to have the Holy Spirit with us now. But we're going to experience something greater in our future. We're going to be with him. The fullness of joy, the blessing of salvation in its fullest measure, it's going to one day be ours. Every wrong made right. Have you ever just thought about it? Seriously. Every wrong made right. Every tear wiped away. A glory that will be beyond our finite understanding. A reunion the likes of this world has never seen awaits us. It's a confident hope. Scripture says, come on, say it with me again, to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord, right? He doesn't lie. He means it. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. Pretty good to me. So Paul is reminding Titus in the very beginning of this letter, in his, in his opening remarks, you've got to make sure, Titus, to tell the people, tell the people of Crete, tell them that, they, that there's a natural progression that needs to take place in their lives. Growing faith, growing knowledge of the truth, and growing in godliness. The same is true for people in Stovall Pentecostal Church today. The same is true for us. It should be taking place in our lives as well. We should have a faith that grows. As a matter of fact, we have a faith that grows, right? We have a faith that grows. It grows us into mature believers who live impactful, godly lives, and it gives us confident hope, both for this life and in the life to come. I don't know about you, but that's the greatest deal I've ever heard of. We all fight for deals. Let's run down to this store. It's half off. This is the greatest deal, and it's free. It didn't come free. It's like he paid a great price for it, right? It was a great cost to give it to us for free. If we believe, we receive. So I challenge us and I encourage us. And I, 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 I just want us to understand as we begin the letter today, let's progress. Let's let our faith progress. Let's let our knowledge of the truth progress. Let's let the way we live and act and talk progress into more godly living. And the the, the greater we see this progression happening in our lives, the greater we will be and the the greater impact we can have on others. This is how it plays out. And so Titus is tasked with a very difficult job of having to deal with the brutes on the island of Crete. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say something, but I won't. I was going to say, 
And look at the job. Look at, like, look at all the jobs that God has given you. And you'll see, I, I, I put it down as a question for our small groups this week. But have you ever felt a time in your life when God was calling you to do something very difficult? And did you do it? And if you did it, how did it play out? And how did God show himself to be faithful through it all? That's a good question to talk at small groups this week, I think. Yeah. But Paul gave Titus a very difficult job. Titus is just a young man. He's a good man who's, who's faced with a task that is beyond any human, any human being able to do. But with God, right, all things. And so Titus goes to the island of Crete, and he does his thing. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into the rest of the book.